Bob and Cowan Podcast. Yours truly, John Cowan. Ooh, ah, it's Friday. And, um, well, yes, it was trade deadline in the National Basketball Association, so we're going to talk about it. Not so much. From, well, we'll talk about it from the Raptors' perspective. But the big deal, we all know, was Harden-Simmons. And um, it has, the last in the last, whatever, 24 hours or so, that has been the topic of conversation around the National Basketball Association. Mm-hmm. And there's no clear defined winner in this. I have watched and listened to a bunch of people from all over North America opine on this trade, and there's no consensus. There are people who like it from Philly's perspective, mostly because they gave away something that they really didn't have anymore in Simmons. And some people like it from the Brooklyn perspective because they got not only Simmons, but they got a shooter in Curry. And they, yeah, they, they got, you know, what, what the Nets got was bodies. They got bodies, hopefully, to stop the bleeding. They've lost 10 in a row now, Bob. Yep. I, 10 well, in a row. I know. And, I, and, 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 and I mean, to the point where rumblings earlier in the week is, is our pal Steve Nash in trouble. I, I don't see it. But to me, uh, they're, they're trying everything to get back on track uh, and, and, and put some W's back in that one column. Um, we're going to talk to Doug Smith about it from the uh, Toronto Star, and we'll uh, commence to that action um, immediately upon listening to this message. McCowan and Shannon back with you, and uh, Doug Smith of the uh, Toronto Star joins us um, on the day following yet another ho-hum Raptor victory and a relatively easy one at that. Although, um, you know, beating OKC in Houston is not exactly, well, it's what you expect. It wasn't exactly monumental, but you got to win them. And uh, they played without their, uh, their point guard and leader in, um, in Fred Van Vliet. So, and he wins a good win, huh? Yeah. It wasn't particularly, neither of them were particularly nice or, hard or gritty but it's the middle of february and you're going to get nice like that and like you said you play the games you got to win them and you got to beat whoever's in front of you and they did so credit to them Hi, there's no there's no uh, column in the standings for hard or gritty so it doesn't no, matter exactly right not not pretty doesn't <laughs> matter just add them up at the end see where you are but gary again another night where uh trent jr yeah, picks up some slack and gosh, oh gosh! I mean, how many times are we going to marvel at the uh, at the Powell trade that said, "Well, who is this Gary Trent guy?" And I mean, man, oh man, it's it's a hell of a story in the end. Yeah, forty two points last night. I think he had five games in a row. Where he had thirty plus just a, uh, three weeks ago, two weeks ago. He's just a, he's just like a professional scorer who guards, and he's he's also not not he doesn't dominate like he, he took a lot of shots last night because. Van Vliet's 15 shots weren't in the lineup. And he told mm-hmm. us after the game, look, some nights those 15 shots are there. I'm going to get my share of them. But when, when Fred's in there, I don't need to shoot 20 times. And I think that's the kind of attitude that, that sort of jumps out at me. It, he's willing to do whatever it takes and not dominate the ball or the shot total. When he came over from Portland, he seemed to be just a guy. Nobody really had a sense of what he was or what he could be. Um, the hope seemed to be that he'd be a second unit guy who could provide a little scoring. And and he has certainly achieved well beyond that. And I'm wondering whether you've spent any time thinking about what his potential could be. Like how good a player could this guy be? I know that that's the interesting point. I, I don't think anybody knows because he's taken such a huge, huge jump this year, both offensively and defensively. I originally thought, and even into this year, I thought, he would be a perfect six man on a championship caliber team. Guy come off the bench, take all the shots, fill it up, and not you don't lose anything defensively. I still think that might be his role on a legitimate championship team. But if you got to start him and give him 15 shots a night and rely on him to defend guys, he's shown he's capable of doing that. So ultimately, ultimately, I do think he's that first scorer off the bench on a on a, yeah. on a very legitimate championship team. But not where's to, his not, weakness if, if he's not a starter? And I know starting is is overplayed and it's really about minutes played and who finishes games right. for the most part. Right. But is there – I mean, I don't see a weakness. He's a pretty good defensive player and shoots the lights out. Yeah, that's the thing. I, you're right. There is no glaring hole that says 
he he has to come off the bench because we can improve on him in this area with a new guy. I think he's a little bit small for yeah. the two guard spot in the NBA these days, but it doesn't seem to have hurt him yet. I'd like to see a full season sample size or maybe season and a half. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I can I can certainly there's certainly a case to be made that he's a starter for the rest of his career and a and a competent, valuable one on a good team. Not, well, not is to there a case the spot. Sorry, John. Go ahead. No, just not to put you on the spot. Um, does he remind you of anybody? Is there somebody in the annals of NBA basketball that you've been around does, that he sits there and says, boy, he does this, he does that? There's really, I don't see a lot of comparables because he's kind of herky-jerky and he's not particularly smooth and he's not wonderfully athletic and he's certainly not big. But he's rather unique in that way. He's got yeah. really, really quick hands defensively. Like He gets steals out of nowhere. Like just stripping guys with the ball that we never thought he had. We didn't. Nick Nurse didn't thought he didn't think he had those skills. My Zion Bobby didn't think he had those skills. He said he did, but you know, Portland was a bad situation for him, I think, because he was behind Lillard and McCollum. He was never going to get enough shots to prove his worth. I don't think he was ever going to get enough minutes to prove his <laughs> real worth. And now I think this is a freeing kind of trade where a role was defined for him and he accepted it based on, uh, based on the, uh, the, the, what's gone on in Portland the last week, yeah. it's a bad fit for everybody. <laughs> exactly. I think he's quite glad. I know he's glad to be out of there. He may, he may not say that publicly, but that was a bit of a mess and it's much more calm here than it was in Portland. But he was a 21 year old in Portland right. I mean, and, and literally a baby who wasn't be, being given an opportunity, understandably, perhaps, to demonstrate what his skill set could be and to right. learn. And the intriguing thing for me is what can he add to his arsenal over the next couple of years to improve himself? And um, I would say getting to the rim, Yeah. even though he's, what is he, 6'4"? I mean, he's listed six four. He's probably closer to six three, but they're all they're all basically. He's small for that position in the NBA these days. Um, but and I and he doesn't remind me at all of Demar Derozan, except we all watched the first how many years of Demar Derozan's career, and he was pretty raw at the beginning, and had to learn how to do things, get calls, get into the right position, you know, get his shot off. Um, and not everybody is able to do that, but we have definitely seen an improvement or at least an improvement in confidence, uh, from Trent jr. I'm not sure he can't be a much better player down the road and maybe even be for lack of a better word, a star. I, I, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. He's got to tighten up his ball handling and that mm -hmm. will allow him, I think, to attack the rim a little bit more frequently. I think he's got to become a more willing uh, guy who catches and shoots rather than catches and takes two dribbles before he shoots. And I think they're working on that with him. And that's what they've been working on most of the year. The interesting thing to me with Gary is going to be how he handles success. Is he going to stay willing to be a guy on a good team or is having some success going to want him going to make him want a larger role? And that's going to be, that's going to be the fascinating personality thing to see how it develops. Like, He's having a great year. Now, does he feel he's having a great year because of him or because of the situation he's in? And how does he handle the future? Does he want to expand his role? Does he need to expand his role on his team? And will he be willing to not expand his role after having had a good year? That's going to be that, interesting to see. That's, that's a really good point because then you have to wonder – the influence of a guy like Van Vliet on him and the influence of a guy like Siakam on him so that his head doesn't get too big, right? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think, I think Nick's a good coach to keep a guy under control, not, not let him become more central to the, to the big picture than he should be. And I do think having Fred and Pascal around it and seeing how they handle stardom, because they're yeah. both stars, mm -hmm. I think will teach him a better way to handle it. Now, will he? That's going to be the question at the end of this year and going into next. What about his shot selection? I, I think, like Bob said, he was 21 in Portland. He's 23 now. He's going to get better because he's going to get smarter. He's going to see more things. Like he doesn't see a lot of, doesn't see a lot of double teams now when he dribbles the ball, but I think he's going to see a lot more. 
Um, and, you know, a shot selection, it could be better. But he also makes a lot of bad shots. So <laughs> they're okay. They're, they're kind of willing to live with that these days. Well, and I mean, I think we could say the same thing about most players in the NBA. In fact, probably almost all players in the NBA. Most good ones, yeah, yeah. Um, and look, at he's playing with a couple of guys who um, essentially had to look well. Van Vliet as a point guard was, you know, shooter slash distributor, maybe the other way around. Um, Pascal Siakam's improvement in his game, from my perspective, is his willingness to distribute the basketball, his willingness to take it, put it on the, on the, on the floor. And before he decides whether he's going to shoot, he'll take a look and see, is he being double teamed? Is there somebody else available? I mean, that the, the, I think yeah. the difference in his game from a year or two years ago in that regard alone, Smitty, is re almost remarkable. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's as much, it's certainly being able to recognize when things are coming, but it's also being willing to pass out of things. Like he doesn't force anything. You know, back when he was a rookie in the second year even, he'd go in a paint and he would make that spin dribble. And most of the times he would finish, but half the time he, he wouldn't be sure where he was going to go. Nope. Now he gets in there and he spins and he knows that he's going to kick the ball to the far corner because his guy's going to be there. And he's willing to do that. And I think that's, he's become a far, far, far better passer because he's a far smarter player and he understands where things are coming at him from. Well, and that's why I wonder whether Trent Jr., I mean, well, yeah. at 22, 23 years old, he's barely starting. And, yep. you know, we've seen Ananobi improve his game dramatically, and we've seen Siakam improve his game dramatically, and even Van Vliet has improved his game dramatically. Just seems to me that this guy's on an upward trend. And he's also, here's another point. I don't know whether you agree with this. He's playing on a team where, generally speaking, you have five guys on the floor who are all going to shoot the ball. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Nobody's. No, yeah, nobody is deferential, uh, exclusively deferential. On another team, he might be getting three, five, seven more shots a game yeah. because he's the primary shooter. And there's guys on there that do basically are defensive players and don't don't score. So he's he's putting up these numbers on a team that shares the basketball. Yeah, and and his percentages are are through the roof from what what they were to where they are now. The interesting thing, and this. This kind of ties into what happened yesterday at the trade deadline is that two years from now, they got to pay him. Mm. They're going to have to pay him a substantial a lot more than the 16 or 14 million he's got now. He's probably a $22 million a year guy and has an out after the end of next season. And I'm sure he's going to take it because you want to maximize the number of years at your big number. Fred Van Vliet's got an out at the end of next season. He's probably going to take it. You got to worry about what you're going to do with Barnes when his third year ends. And he's a rookie coming to a restricted free agency situation. So the, the yesterday, not taking any money into 23, 24, when the Raptors probably could have was done because they know they're going to have to pay Gary Trent mm. and how much is going to be seen. But if they want him, he's going to be expensive and that's going to ratchet up the payroll on this team. that's already got a pretty high payroll in a lot of few, very good players. Just, just when I was enjoying the rest of this regular season, now I have to worry about <laughs> how much money the Raptors have to pay over the next two years. My goodness. The summer, the summer of 2023. This was, a, this was a hell of a story. I know. And now we're worried about we're, the summer of 2023. Can you believe that? Right. This, game, this game is crazy. <laughs> what is the cap? I should know this. What is the cap right now? I mean, uh, I know you about, can exceed it, but. Well, I think it's about 112 and the cap's 130. Oh, okay. Tax is like one. 32 something like that. oh gosh it's big it's it's a crazy it's, it's just a number yeah but i mean it's impactful because um you know and we shouldn't fall in love with all these guys because they won eight games in a row i mean right. full credit to them right but you 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 really can't have five guys make a 20 million if you want to stay under the cap no if you want to stay under the tax for sure under the tax, and, exactly. and if you want to get if you want to get any kind of guys six through eight to help your team be championship level, well, which is, which is another thing. Like, it is, and and the but the intriguing thing is, you know, we have spent so much time talking about the lack of input from six through twelve, the lack of use of guys six through twelve, 
coincidentally, the amount of time the starters are spending on the floor, all of them over 40 minutes a night, that triple overtime game with 55 minutes a night. <laughs> um, we spent a lot of time talking about that and the wisdom of that and the, and the long-term impact of that. But guess what? It's working. That's, and, that's my point. I'm, and this whole, I'm getting really tired of the minutes discussion because I think it's a red herring. I really do. And I'm yeah, starting to play, think so too. They're playing a lot, but guess what? Someone's got to. Someone's got to be first in the NBA in minutes played. Why not be Fred Van Bleet? Someone's got to be second. Why not Pascal Siakam? It mm. certainly hasn't been, it hasn't cost them anything, and it's won them games. You've got to play your best players to win games, and their players at the end of the bench aren't good enough to help you win. So you play the guys that help you win. <laughs> I honestly don't think, I'm getting really tired of it. And I get that the numbers are glaring, and they, they're number one, two, and four, one, two, and three in the NBA. But someone's got to be. Why not these guys? Well, I guess the real point is it's working. That's They're having success point. with it. If they were, if they were playing sub 500 basketball, then you'd have a concern. Sure. And if Fred and Pascal were missing every other game because they had a muscle tear, then you'd be concerned, but that hasn't happened. Not and yet. Think, no, that's right. I don't, I don't think it will. I think their sports science is top notch. Wow. I, I know they don't work on the off days. Like, they don't get in the gym and run around. That's for sure. So why can't you sustain this? I don't, I just don't see it being a thing. I really, really don't. Now, I'm yeah. obviously in a minority, but I, I start to yawn when people bring it up now. And then, Doug, that's a, that's a really good point. And, and I know we've done it before, but this is a shout out to the, the group of people that Masai has put together behind the scenes with this organization, like Alex McKechnie. I mean, that, that's what this is about. This is making sure that they're ready to play the 48 minutes and go from there. And then we'll worry about everything else. Uh, in a timely fashion. Yeah, I think Alex, Scotty McCullough, all, all the guys who are uh, guys and women who are on the, the training staff are, are absolutely top-notch professionals. I do think Nick Nurse deserves a little bit of credit in this regard. He can teach through film. He doesn't have to teach with guys on the court. Mm -hmm. So the time that the teams need on the floor to figure stuff out, he's able to do in the locker room on a video screen. And I think that's kind of significant. It takes smart players to grasp it, and he's got smart players for the most part. But I do think him being able to get a message across without having to go on the floor is pretty good, too. Uh, one th other thing that we learned uh, yesterday was that uh, Goran Dragic's value in the NBA is essentially zero. And, um, and I... You know, we talked about this very early in the season when he was, wasn't getting minutes and then ultimately went to Miami for whatever reason. Um, we don't know, really. It's supposed to be personal. I, I, I know what the reason is, and I'm not going to say it because it is personal. Oh, okay. But it was it, legitimate. Okay. And it, I, I, I have given my word to people around him that I won't share it. But it was mm -hmm. personal, and it was important. Okay, fair enough. Uh, but when push came to shove, um, he was viewed at least early in the season as an asset the Raptors would be able to move at some point for some other asset. Maybe not a $20 million asset, but he would have value to other teams. If Goran Dragic had been playing all this time, would his market value have gone up significantly? Do you I think? I don't know significantly, but I think it would have because there, be, there would be information to be seen and shared and, and studied. And there isn't any. We haven't seen him play since November. And even then, he was so sparingly playing that it didn't really matter. I think if he was playing 15 or 18 minutes a night on a team that was seven games over 500, then, yeah, I think his, his value would have enhanced beyond simply the $19 million in his contract. Now, if he'd been playing those 15 or 17 or 18 minutes, would the Raptors be seven games over 500? That I don't know. Because him not playing allowed guys like Siakam to become a mm. ball handler, Banton to play a little bit, Barnes to become a bit of a ball handler. So Dragic not playing probably didn't hurt them nearly as much in the development, developmental aspect as I thought it would. Uh, tell me about your opinion of Thaddeus Young, guy who's been around a while. Um, a, a curious selection in that... <laughs> It's another 6'8 guy. Right? Yeah, yeah, another 6'8 guy, 7'4 wingspan. 
can guard multiple positions and plays in a front court. Like the Raptors, <laughs> yeah. that's what the Raptors needed. Exactly, it's a clone. They're yeah, gonna have gonna twelve say, of these guys when all is said and done. You can just cut and paste that from all your articles, Doug. Just cut and paste that line and put it in every article about every guy on this roster. They're, they're gonna have eleven guys like that and Fred. That's yeah. what the roster is gonna be when it gets. Oh, to that's more accurate. Yeah, <laughs> but I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know what that's Young's got left in the tank. But I, I talk to people in Chicago and San Antonio and Philly who say he is a consummate pro and a good guy. And I think that's as, as important as anything. He's not going to come in and want to do anything, but he will come in and be willing to do something. You know what I mean? He's not going to, he knows where he is. He knows what he is. And I think yeah. he's quite, I'm told quite professional enough to accept that. And frankly, if you, if you're looking at, if you got to play him in the playoffs or Kim Birch or precious Achua, maybe you play him a little bit and see what he's got. Cause he's mm-hmm. 13 years in played. I think, 60 or 70 playoff games in his career. He knows what it takes. So maybe he becomes a guy that you can get eight or 10 minutes a night out of. So, so the, uh, the first round pick for the hardcore Raptor fan, the first round pick understands why it's gone. Uh, but yeah. those uh, people that are around the club that uh, or watch the club uh, infrequently, the first round pick, everybody values them. But is this the time to get rid of a first round pick? They, they were, the people were frantic when they saw a protected first round pick going because it was like the worst thing ever. How could they attack you? Here's yeah. the pick. The pick will probably now be the 31st or 32nd pick. Yesterday at this time, it was going to be the 20th or 21st pick. Mm. In that 10 sec, in that 10 player difference, there is no difference in talent. And if you trust the Raptors scouting staff, as people should, because it's done a pretty damn good job, they're going to find a guy at 31 who's as good as the guy they could have got at 21. Mm. The guy at 21 in the first round, or 22, or even 20 would carry three years of guaranteed money. The guy at 31 or 32 or 33 carries no guarantee money. So even if you blow the pick, you haven't lost the dime. And I don't think they'll blow the pick. That, the pick swap to me was the least. Negligible. Negligible. And people got all upset because they saw first round for second round, not realizing the difference was going to be basically minuscule. But at the end of the day, and I guess my point on this is, with no disrespect intended to Thaddeus Young, or Goran Dragic for that matter, this is not the ideal scenario for the Toronto Raptors. This was not exactly what they were looking for. Do you no, agree? They, oh, yeah. I think, as, as I said, I, I think this was a triple and not a home run. A, ho- a home run would have been a ball-handling young uh, shooter. But you know what? There aren't a lot of them out there. And we asked Bobby about that yesterday, as a matter of fact. And he said, yeah, there were some deals where you could have got a guy like that but the price tag was just too high it would have been multiple first round picks and taking on money that got you into that 23 24 range and they weren't willing to do that i'm a little bit surprised that the market for Dragic wasn't a bit higher just because the value was contract but you know I, I i i know that they plumbed the depths of the trade market and this is what they came up with and i think at some point you got to trust them and maybe it Obviously, it's not an earth-shattering move. It, it tinkers on the edges, but I always thought that was what they were going to do because they weren't going to disrupt the core. It just was not going to happen. What I find intriguing is, um, or would love to know, is what do Masai and Bobby actually think of this club? What is their opinion today of the short-term future of the Toronto Raptors? Um, we all believed that this was going to be a rebuilding year uh, for the team and that they'd be lucky to get into the postseason and maybe be a 500 team, but probably not much more than that. And take away COVID, take away injuries in the early part of the year, all of a sudden these, this group has played together on a consistent basis for a month or more. And they've rattled off eight wins and they're, in, and they're in sixth. And you know what I thought about yesterday when I, when I saw the Thaddeus Young deal, I thought, you know, if this team had four or five more wins and was competing for first place in the East, might they have pulled the trigger on a much bigger deal? They, they very well could have. I know I, I, Bobby and Mazai will never say this publicly, and I don't blame them, and I, I don't expect them to. But I know that they think they're much further ahead today than they expected. They thought, this was, they thought this was a good team. And I don't know this for sure, but I think if you had told either of them 
in November, you're going to finish at 41 and 41. They would have signed that scorecard in a second. And now you're looking at maybe you get 46 wins. Maybe you get 47 mm -hmm. wins. Maybe you get, I do think there's going to be a group of about eight teams in the East between 51 wins and 44 wins. And I don't know where the Raptors are going to fall in that group, but I could see them at either end of it. And, and that's far ahead of where management thought they would be at the end of this year. How much of a problem does this lineup, this very unique lineup, create for other teams? We tend to look, Raptor fans tend to look at the Raptor team specifically and how they're performing. But this is a very unique lineup. <laughs> does it present unique challenges? Yeah, Nick's, Nick's, uh, Nick Nurse has, has harped on this a lot, and I've, we have all certainly seen it watching the games closely. They're impossible to guard on the wings because they have Ananobi, Siakam, and, and Barnes. And, and one of those three is going to enjoy a significant physical advantage over the guy guarding them. And they're able to uh, find those mismatches and exploit them. And I think, I think they present huge issues to teams trying to guard them because you can't guard all three of those guys. They're, they're all so unique and big and long and can dribble and can pass that they're a matchup hell for mm -hmm. most opponents. And I, I, think they're, just, I think they're more of a matchup hell offensively that it takes away from any deficiencies there might be on the defensive end with Toronto. Yeah. yeah. This, this, this is off the wall a bit, but how, how important is Van Vliet going to the all-star game for Van Vliet? Oh, I, I don't, I don't think Fred ever needs public or, or obvious uh, validation, but I think it makes him a lot proud, very, very proud. I don't think it's going to make him work harder because he works hard every day anyway. But I do think there's a sense of validation, a sense of belonging. I think he's going to love being there and being around these guys. And he's going to love the experience. He's going to soak it in. He's going to do everything. You know, he's doing a three-point shot. He'll be around him the rest of the Saturday night. I think his sponsor is going to have stuff for him. I guess my point is, is that you know, lots of guys, lots of guys like to strut. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. and 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 I don't see that in him. I mean, as a guy who's no. well on the outside, I, I just see him taking it in stride. Well, yeah, I don't think it's going to change him. I think it's going to be a very cool thing. He's going to have a lot of fun at. Well, he knows where his bread is buttered. It's, yeah. it's getting the Raptors into the third round of the playoffs. And, and being a, being a Toledo guy in the game in Cleveland, that's kind of cool, right? I think he's going to have a lot of fun. Yeah, I think it's going to be a good experience for him. But, and I think he's absolutely deserved it and earned it. And the best thing is he's going to get three days off at the end of it to get some rest because mm -hmm. the game is a Sunday and the Raptors don't play again until the Friday. So he's still going to get almost a week's rest on those 40 minutes a night body. Well, don't tell Bob that. Bob needs, Bob is going to want these like three days extra rest. <laughs> Bob, Bob, you know, I can Bob, that. <laughs> I'm resting right now. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. I made a rest. I may end up wrestling as Charlotte went to join the Raptors there after the break. Well, there certainly was a big push, at least locally, for um, Van Vliet to make the team. But and there wasn't much of a push for Siakam. But you certainly could make the argument that, especially when they added a player, I, I'm sure Siakam was in the conversation there, don't you think? Oh, yeah. I think he would be – I don't. I think next up would be Jared Allen from Cleveland, but I think next up would be Pascal if two more mm -hmm. guys get hurt. Yeah, but yeah, I think he's absolutely he would absolutely be in the discussion. Now he didn't play the first eleven games, and the first ten he did play, he was bleh. But in the last since then, since then he's been on fire. Like he's put up numbers that are like his numbers are are off the charts good. Assists, rebounds, and points, and field goal percentage, and defense, and stuff. Like he's he's playing. He's absolutely playing at all star level. But I understand that I see why he didn't make it, and I can understand why he won't ultimately. We have, uh, we have not buried the lead. I guess we sort of have. But um, outside of the Toronto Raptors and the Thaddeus Young, Goran Dragic deal, there was a big deal <laughs> there was. yesterday. And it is certainly worth discussing and analyzing. And uh, who better to do it than uh, our friend Mr. Smith? We'll get to that when we come back after these messages. McCowan and Shannon with uh, Doug Smith of the Toronto Star. Well, James Harden now a member of the Philadelphia 76ers, Ben Simmons, uh, presumably will make an appearance for the first time this year, in a uniform at least, with Brooklyn. Where are you on this one? Who won it? 
Oh, I, I think Brooklyn won it hands down, and I'm not a big Simmons guy at all because I think getting uh, Curry is a huge boost for them. I think putting him with Irving and Patty Mills and Durant and even Andre Drummond makes them really, really, really good. Um, but I think this could be a train wreck on both sides, and I really hope it is because that's classic. That's classic chaos. I don't know. I don't possibly know how James Harden and Joel Embiid will be able to share the ball because they both need it so much to be effective. And Embiid is having an all-time year. And all of a sudden, he's not going to be able to have the ball as much. Harden is – he's certainly not the fittest guy in the professional sports world. I think his skills – I think his skills <laughs> – you're being, you're, being you're being a little kind there, Doug. Yeah, but his, I think his skills have diminished a little bit. He seems to have a chronic hamstring injury. Yeah. And I'm not entirely sure how much his – well, I don't think his heart was in Brooklyn at all, but then his heart wasn't in Houston either. And is, is his heart going to be in, in Philadelphia? I, I don't know. This is a, this is this is a this is I hope it's chaotic. I hope they both go in a toilet like Thursday because that would be classic NBA. Not not to simplify this, but it, does this mean in some sort of silly way Kyrie won? I mean, well, I, he, he's basically the last guy standing. You know, I Durant's know. Hurt. Kyrie's playing road games in some <laughs> cities. Simmons, I don't know when Simmons is going to play, and who knows what he's going to be like when he does. But yeah, Kyrie, I can't remember who had the line was on the Twitter machine yesterday. So now Brooklyn has two guys who won't take a shot to help their team: Ben Simmons <laughs> and Kyrie Irving. Yeah. Which I thought was pretty good. Which I thought was pretty because I don't know how Simmons is going to. I don't know what we haven't seen him since what June. He hasn't played since May or June. I have no clue what his game is like. I don't think it's going to be particularly good. If, in fact, he's missed 55 games mostly because he has mental wellness issues, are they all of a sudden resolved and he's going to be all puppy dogs and rainbows? I, I don't know. It's going, to be, it's going to be really interesting to see. I, I don't know why either team did it, but I know why exactly why both teams did it, if, if you get it. Well, you said, you know, these two guys who, you know, the – with a complete for completely different reasons, won't take um, take one for the team. Um, yeah, Kyrie won't take one for the team because he's too worried about his own stats, and Simmons won't take one for the team because he can't he can't score, can't right. make a shot. Um, but Simmons' real asset is on defense. Oh, he guards he guards every position on the floor extremely well, absolutely, and you know that. If you got Kevin Durant, you don't need anybody else to shoot. And I think that's going to be – that's why Brooklyn, I think, came out ahead on this, is that it just gets Durant eight more shots. That makes him, you know, ten points better. And Simmons can guard everybody when he's, when he's engaged and healthy and willing to do it. And I, I don't know. Can he be that in 30 games and then the playoffs? I, I don't know, and I don't think anybody does. Well, with the free fall that the Nets are on, I mean, they've lost 10 in a row. The question is, how, how quickly can he be in game shape to be that defensive stalwart? Oh, that, that's the big question. And, you know, obviously, they don't, they don't care about having to play on the road in the playoffs. So they, I don't think they care if they finish six or nine, really. They're right. good enough to win anywhere if they get everybody. But, you know, Kyrie still can't play at home. And if there was a Raptors-Nets series, Kyrie couldn't play in it because he can't come here and he can't play there. Right. So it, that, that issue, I think, is going to be if somehow the state of New York or the city of New York caves and allows amendments to their laws that vaccinated players aren't entirely banned, unvaccinated players aren't entirely banned, that may change the balance of power in the NBA. Well, and there's, I had a conversation with somebody yesterday who actually is in the travel business and pays close attention to this kind of stuff. And he said he believes that restrictions across North America are going to change dramatically. And he thinks in the next two to three weeks. Yeah. So we can sit here yeah. and say Kyrie, you know, won't be able to play because he's not vaccinated, but we don't know that. Exactly. Exactly. But we may go back to, we may go back to, you know, having to show your ID every time you walk into a restaurant, you may be able to go wherever you want. You may right. not have to wear a mask when you're, when you're wow. in a, a public place anymore. We're getting close to that. Yeah, I, I really think we are. I think we, 
and it's I don't the whys are the why for it is a discussion that's for another day and another well, form. of course. But I do think in the effect of sports, it will change the balance of power in the NBA because if Kyrie plays every game, the Nets are very, 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 very good. If he plays only home games, then I think there's an issue there, or only road games rather. I think there's an issue there. But if they get it back full time and Durant gets healthy, I still say they're the best team in the league. Yeah. So, so the, the Sixers side of this to me is fascinating. Would this have been Doc Rivers insisting that he needs this guy? I mean, and that Doc Rivers believes he can make him and massage him to, to play within his system? No, I think it's Daryl Morey, the GM, wanting to get something, anything for Ben Simmons. Exactly. It was such a thing that they needed to get some kind of asset. And, you know, James Harden, engaged, is a pretty good player. James Harden, unengaged, is just a player. And James Harden opting into his $47 million contract for next season hamstrings your roster. And I don't know that Embiid Harden works. That's it. I think the guy who's going to take the fall for this is going to be Doc. Yeah. Because I think he's got a roster that's really, really flawed. Well, you know, you're talking about consultation. Um, I wonder whether Philly's GM talked to Embiid about it. And I... You'd know, hope so, Bob. You'd hope so. He would have had to. But. Well, I think so. And 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 I I would be then surprised. I'm wondering, like, why would Embiid want Harden? I think that, this, my suggestion would be Embiid just wants anybody. Well, that's he just a, it. He needs another player, and they needed they had the asset in Simmons that they had to turn into something, and they turned into they swung for the fences. Could they have traded yeah. Simmons for four players, four bit players, probably? Yeah, but I don't think that would have satisfied Embiid. Even though it might have made the team better, he might not have seen it that way. Mm-hmm. And I think Maury needed to hit a uh, try to. He waited out Simmons for as long as he possibly could before actually having to do something, and he did something ma- majorly bold. Well, and when all is said and done, um, he got fleeced in essence based on what his demands were at the beginning of the year. Exactly. Now, this is a guy who I know this for a fact wanted. Ananobi, Van Vliet, Siakam, and two fresh first round picks for Ben Simmons. <laughs> now, look at look at what he got compared to what he was asking from Toronto, let alone what he would have been asking from Golden State or Sacramento or Minnesota. That's my or point. Atlanta. Yeah. I think he bluffed for too long and had to do something. And I don't know that yeah. panic is the right word, but I'll tell you, he certainly set his team up to fail. And maybe win. Maybe, maybe it works and they play at NBA Finals. But I think there's a better chance that it goes entirely south. You mentioned Curry. What do you what do you foresee his role with the Nets being? I he's going to stand on the perimeter, take passes from Kyrie and Durant, and make threes because he's really good at them. And I think that's all they needed. But you know, the need you could never have too much shooting. He's a proven very very good shooter. He doesn't have to guard a lot of people because you're going to have Durant's a very good defender. Kyrie's a pretty good defender. Simmons is an elite defender if he plays. And Andre Drummond's back there protecting the rim. Yeah. So any, you know, the, the flaws in Seth's game are probably defense and shot creation because he's more of a catch and shoot guy than off the dribble. But in that in that system in that team, that's probably all he has to be. Well, I'll tell you, he's the name that jumped off the page at me when I saw the trade for the first time. I mean, Harden, yeah. you know, Harden Simmons. We can have an argument over, you know. We can, make, we can make the argument that neither one of them is what we think they are. They're less than what we think they are. Simmons, because he hasn't played and he had, does have weaknesses on the cart. Harden, because he's older and because he tends to be selfish and tends to be moody and likes to have the ball in his hands, et cetera, et cetera. So we can make all those arguments. Yeah. But when you throw Curry into that mix, all of a sudden, the value on the court leans very heavily towards Brooklyn for me. Yeah, I'll, I'll give Philly a little bit of credit in that they didn't have to attach Maxi or Thibault to the deal, because that was the original chatter on Monday, was that two of Curry, Thibault, and Maxi were going with them, and that was like, whoa, that's gutting your team. And they did; they were able to resist that. But you're right, I think Curry and the role he's going to play in, in Brooklyn does tip the balance very, very much. And here's the other part. Trading away Andre Drummond that probably adds to Embiid's workload because he doesn't yeah. have a backup anymore. And Embiid's not the healthiest guy in the history of basketball either. No. So if he gets banged up because he's playing a little bit more and, 
is being asked to do more and doesn't have a you know a, a true guy like him behind him. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's part of the gamble too. I'm not I, a big I'm not a big Andre Drummond fan, but as a backup to Joe Embiid, he was pretty effective. I, I guess I would argue that he may play more minutes, but he won't have the ball as much. Oh, I think that's absolutely well. It's, yeah, unless unless Harden has absolutely changed his mindset in the last twenty four hours, that's a fact. But yeah. I, and I I don't know James, but I know James, and there's no way he's not going over there and pass the ball to Joel Embiid and get out of the way. It ain't gonna happen. Let me throw something else at you guys, um, kind of out of left field, but it occurs to me that the era of of getting two or three big stars, putting them on the court together, and then you win automatically, which is sort of what Miami did sure. with LeBron. The two big teams of that ilk are Brooklyn and the Lakers, and neither Both. one of them is playing worth crap. Both are broken. Yeah, the 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 game has the the pendulum has shifted back to having a lot of good players rather than a few great ones. Yeah, yeah. And you know, you look at just last year, Phoenix, Phoenix playing the NBA Finals, but you know, Chris Paul's a Hall of Famer. And Aiton's pretty good, but Booker's really good. Mikhail Bridges is pretty good. Uh, Jay Crowder is a good fit on that team. That's a team. And you saw it with the Raptors. You know, You're know, you seeing it with the Raptors right now. And you saw well, it with and, Cle and Cleveland. Look, look at what Cleveland's done. Cleveland doesn't have any true stars. Garland's right. pretty good. Jared Allen's pretty good. I think Mobley's going to be probably the best kid out of the rookie class, but they're also hot. Milwaukee has Giannis, and that's kind of the outlier. But, you know, Middleton's okay. But you wouldn't say Milwaukee has a big three, and they're the defending NBA champions. Yeah. The Raptors, yeah. they won. Kawhi was absolutely the best. Well, he was the best player on the team. But they won game six because in the fourth quarter, Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet pick and rolled the Warriors to death. So, you, it, yeah, the pendulum is a lot of good players rather than three great yeah. ones now. You shocked that the Lakers could do nothing yesterday? No, because I don't think they got anything to give. They've got nothing. they got no picks. I think the first pick is like 27. Tail and Horton Tucker is you know, just a guy. He doesn't, yeah. he's not going to command a lot of stuff on the market. You're not going to make your team way better. I don't think there's a, there was an, there was apparently a discussion of Russell Westbrook for John Wall with Houston, which might have <laughs> been my headache for your headache. Well, is that what that yeah, was? Which would have, which would have been, it would have been like a Simmons hard and light. <laughs> Well, if you were in LA, would you would you move Westbrook simply because he's a disruptive influence? The, the Not, second I could, yeah. yeah. But I don't think you can. I'm, I I guarantee they had to be trying. If they weren't trying, they got to. I think so. Him. Yeah. Like Rob, Rob Palinka has not become, you know, no. the Sam Pollock of NBA general manager. I was going to say sure. he's no Red Arbach, you know. He's no. <laughs> he's more Red Clots. Hey, he's, so it, it, you know, it makes you wonder. Uh, it, it, a little historical reference that how, how did OKC get where they got when you had Harden, when you had Westbrook, when you had were, Durant? I mean, how did they had every one of these guys? They were young kids who didn't know any better and hadn't become themselves yet. They were young kids. Yeah, and Ibaka, Ibaka was just a kid running around blocking shots and didn't really care. Durant and Westbrook and Harden were just having fun winning. They were going to win championships forever. Then their heads got a little bit big. They saw some yeah. success. Yeah. And they didn't particularly handle it well. And I see Serge got moved yesterday too. Eh? He's coming to Milwaukee. Yeah, I'm sure the fashion scene in Milwaukee is really hot. Way better than LA. <laughs> well, but I think we're all rooting for Serge. I mean, oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, we love the guy. Yeah, um, I, I don't, don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know he's got any game left. I don't really. think he does. But does he need to have a lot of game on a team with Giannis? You've got to have a little game, but you don't have to have a lot. Boy, oh boy, is he going to get any minutes though? Well, I, with with Lopez done for the year, probably a little, a few. Yeah, I mean, they're not. It's not True. a particularly big team, but I don't think they're going to be significant or substantial minutes. But if he helps you win one game, well, he helps you win a game. I'll tell you, it uh, it would have been really interesting to see him with Giannis like three years ago, four years ago. Oh yeah, don't that you think? Been, oh, absolutely. That would have been really interesting. Serge, when he was making shots, and could be a, a punishing rim protector and punishing defender. Would have been, it would have been something to see. I. I so I got I got a lot of admiration for Serge and the way he plays basketball, and I hope he has a good finish in, in Milwaukee, and I hope he gets another contract. But I I've seen him a, a bunch of times on the television, and I don't. It's it's almost at the end for Serge. Yeah, I think you're right. And yeah, comes it, to, it, 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 he's had a great year, great career. One comes to the end for everybody. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, the, the other thing is, is that if, you, if you're in the NBA head office and, and then you look at uh, not just the Lakers, but the Clippers, I mean, two years ago, this was going to be, uh, you know, the golden years of, of basketball in Southern California. You, you had everything was pointed in the right direction. A bunch of superstars on one team, a bunch of superstars on the other team, and poof, poof nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Exactly, exactly. Best laid plans. They really were going to, you know, they were going to share an arena for a couple of years and Bombers going to build a new palace and they were going to fight each other for the Western supremacy yeah. for half a decade. Yeah. And now they got a chance both will miss the playoffs. Yep. Which is crazy. Could happen. But it's, it's, that's why sports is so good. And you don't know, like it's the, it's the greatest thing ever. And you look at a team like Phoenix quietly goes about building tweaks on the fringes, makes a deal for Paul. And all of a sudden they're like, they're astoundingly good. There are they're like, there's like no holes in the Phoenix Suns roster. I know that they, they got to go through Golden State to get to the finals, but man, they're 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 so good. Dare I remind you who the number three team in the West is? Don't look down. Don't look at your standings. Dare I remind you? Uh, Utah still there? Is Utah still up there? Memphis. They... Memphis. 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 Yeah. Memphis is good. Memphis is fun, but Memphis is so. I don't think Memphis can win the playoffs because they're just kids. They don't know what it's yeah. like. But they're fun to watch, man. I I, I love Memphis, but. I know John Moran's pretty John good. Moran's that Moran's great. pretty good, boy. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're a, they're a good team and a great story. But in, a, in the playoffs, when everything's a step or two slower and you got to be smart and really physically strong, mm. I'm not sure the Grizzlies got it yet. I mean, they'll learn it, but they're in the regular season, they might be the best. They might be the best regular season story out there on the good side of the ledger. Uh, well, we've covered just about all the bases, I think. We we may have missed something, but uh, I'm not sure what it is. I can't think. There was like a thousand <laughs> other trades, but I don't even know. And it's freedom's not in the NBA anymore. That's all I know for sure. Thank but, you very much. I tell you what, enjoy. And I know you're excited. You're going to go on a 14 day sabbatical with the team. Yeah, yeah. Have a great time on the road. A of, and a lot of airplanes. A, a lot of airplanes, and maybe even get inside a restaurant. Wouldn't that be something? It's like. New Orleans, Minnesota, Cleveland, from like the, the cool to the ridiculous to the even ridiculous earth. Can you believe that? That's like, that's like, that's, that's how like do you a great. Spell, how do you spell that ridiculous earth? I don't know. How do you pack for it? You go to New yeah. Orleans for two days, then you go to Minneapolis for two, then you go to Cleveland for five. I don't uh, know. You're either going to be too hot or too cold somewhere. Yeah. I got to get my concierge on this deal. Person, go get my, get my clothes for it. Have fun, man. Have a good Enjoy, trip. guys. We'll talk to you. We'll talk to you later. We'll talk to you down the road. Thanks as always. Thanks, Mitty. Doug Smith of the Toronto Star. We'll come back and wrap this up after these messages. We're back. Thanks to Smitty for uh, being with us. A whole bunch of places we can go here. Let me start with this one. Uh, You're aware of the uh, Camilla Valieva story, the Russian figure skater, the 15-year-old who tested positive. Yes. And, and, you know, from a Canadian perspective, the Canadian team finished fourth. Right. And if um, Valieva is dis- discounted, dismissed, taken out of the picture. Disqualified. And the Russians, Disqualified. Thank you. That's the word. Um, then Canada would get a bronze medal. M- my motivation in this is never that. Um, but I looked at the situation. This is a 15-year-old girl who tested positive in December, yep. has not tested positive since. The reason why she was not disqualified um, back then is still a mystery to me. But the the reason this is taking so long, and I sort of understand this, I don't remember this happening previously. She's 15 years old. Right. She's a minor. She's a minor. Yeah. And I think the IOC is concerned about um, legally what they can do here. And I, think, your- the, I, I think the Russians have said that too. I, I really do. I think that this is all part and parcel of, of what's gone on. And uh, I, I, you have to wonder, you almost have to wonder, Christine Brennan, uh, who writes for USA Today and, and was a guest on your show for many years, Bob. Christine Brennan is the one that's been really pushing this narrative. Um, uh, and, but it, What's it, Christine's opinion? Uh, I, I'm not quite sure. She's just saying, why are there two sets of rules, one for the Russians and one for the rest of the world? That's well, but the, see, I, I don't I don't think it's one for the Russians, one for the rest of the world. I mean, I hate the but Russians. Here, but no, but remember, I think it's, but, it's but about a 15 year old girl. No, but, but, but see, I think this is the dilemma because uh, we don't we're, we're not even supposed to use the name Russia because they're not 
they're not officially Russia. They're not allowed to use the flag. This is the IOC's lame attempt at trying to punish Russia. So they're called either the uh, Olympic Athletes of Russia, as they were four years ago, or now they're ROC, the Russian Olympic Committee, because of all of the transgressions of performance-enhancing drugs of this country over the well, last we have, and we get four or five that. years. I mean, okay, yeah. so let me but, ask you specifically, would you, would you disqualify her? Yes. See, I don't know whether you do. Well, then there's two sets of rules. Not really. Well, I think it becomes a legal issue on two parts. Number well, one, she has passed every test, and I don't know whether this should matter. She, she wasn't suspended in, um, or disqualified in, in December when she tested positive, but she has had numerous tests apparently since then and has passed all of them. Yeah. That's number one. I don't know what that means. I don't know whether that, I mean, it's well, a good I mean, thing. Should, I mean, if, if, she did, if she did test positive in December, should she even be on the Russian team? The fact well, is, here, here's the problem. She is the best figure skater in the world right now. That's the issue. That's the well, issue. Well, yes and no. I mean, the, the fact that we're talking about it is because she's a great figure skater and she's only right. 15 years old. Right. But does, does her, is her positive test in December mitigated in any way by the fact that she's a minor? And I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Well, and, he, and he, listen, let's face it. We have seen this in previous Olympics and, and, and over decades. These medals can be changed at a whim at any time before, during, and after the games. Oh, no. These guys, these, this Canadian team could win the bronze medal next December. Well, <laughs> no, but the IOC has said that they're going to make some kind of a ruling within the next few days so that yeah. there's the possibility of doing the medal ceremony. Remember, the medal ceremony hasn't even taken place. That's right. It's all on hold. It's so all it's not a question of, of changing the medal no. after the fact, like send your medal back. They haven't given them out, yet. Which, which has happened in the past. <laughs> uh, very quickly, one minute. Uh, surprised that Calgary um, had such an easy time with the Maple Leafs? No. Calgary at home is really, really tough. Calgary at home is a different team. Uh, and I'll tell you what, um, we talked about it early, how good Jack Campbell was, uh, Jack Campbell's having an issue. Jack Campbell's struggling. That's the story of the Toronto Maple Leafs and the guy at the other end, Jacob Markstrom, Jacob Markstrom's the best goalie in the national hockey league right now. Hard to argue, but nonetheless, a little surprising, not that it, not the Calgary won, but that it wasn't. Yeah. And I tell you what, it, it, for, uh, the Canucks will play the Maple Leafs hard. Uh, tomorrow night. And can you imagine how excited both those Toronto guys are, Rutherford and Boudreaux, to be able to have their team finally against the Toronto Maple Leafs. They, they, those two, if, they, if the Canucks beat them, those two guys will have so much fun and enjoy that they finally beat the Toronto Maple Leafs together. Well, I'll be interested to see if Rutherford comes up from Carolina just to be at the, in the arena for the Oh, game. no, he's, he's, in, he's in Vancouver now. So. He is now? Okay. Yes, sir. Yes. We got to go. We're out of time. We'll uh, see you on Monday. Thanks for watching or listening. Goodbye, everybody. Enjoy the Super Bowl.